You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. As you know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats, uh, and I plan to use this. My wife and I have a 17-month-old, haven't been a lot of nights out recently, but we plan to have one soon, and we will definitely be using SeatGeek to find concert tickets so that we can go out and enjoy a nice evening, and we know that SeatGeek will make the ticket buying experience easier than ever because it saves us time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And best of all, Assembly Call listeners get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That is promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 59th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 372nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, January 11th, 2018. I'm your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And the banner moment this week is the way that Indiana started on Tuesday night against Penn State. As I was kind of reflecting on our discussions from the postgame show, it kind of dawned on me that we, we really didn't talk that much about the way that Indiana started and it was really clear from the opening tip that Indiana was ready to go against the Nittany Lions the Hoosiers were playing with great energy and focus especially on the defensive end and Jawan Morgan made sure that the Hoosiers got off to a good start offensively by scoring eight straight points including two three-pointers and at the first TV timeout the Hoosiers led 12 to 8 they extended the lead to 19-13 by the next TV timeout and it was just a really solid start by Indiana taking control of the game. All right, so what does this matter? It's just the first eight minutes of a 40-minute game, and we know that Penn State was able to stay in it until the end. Well, it matters because Indiana's start set the tone for the entire game. It was a statement that this is our floor, you're in our house, and we're going to control this game until the final buzzer, which Indiana, for the most part, did. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case consistently inside of Simon Scott Assembly Hall this year. Consider the Indiana State and Fort Wayne games, the ghosts of which will be haunting us all year. 
in each of those games against teams Indiana should have been able to control for 40 minutes, the Hoosiers allowed the Sycamores and the Mastodons to control the action early and build confidence. Confidence and control, which obviously never went away. Indiana State led 12-6 at the first TV timeout, and their lead had ballooned to 28-15 by the second one. Fort Wayne led 11-8 at the first TV timeout, and while the Hoosiers rebounded in that game to actually lead at halftime, the tone was set early on that Indiana would not be imposing its will on that night. So I take Indiana's start against Penn State as an important sign of progress because for the first time all year, Indiana followed up an impressive victory, the road win at Minnesota, by coming out of the gate strong at home. And now, on Sunday, we'll see if these Hoosiers are capable of doing it again against Northwestern. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left, we have one of the world's most respected bracketologists who recently released his first bracket projections of the season over at InsideTheHall.com, and he is the longtime president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the past week in IU basketball? You know, it's funny to look back at probably the tone of our show last week to this week. Uh, you know, on the heels of that Wisconsin loss, and then what's happened since then, I think if you if you break down the season into this kind of chunk, it's pretty reflective of how I think everybody has felt uh, over the course of it, where things can ebb and flow and, and change pretty quickly. Um, but but a really good week for IU, and I think as you said, good not just in the sense that they won both games, but I think in the sense that they were able to, you know, build on a performance as opposed to taking a step back. And so um, as you look at the stretch, we, we kind of talked about before. If ever there was a time that this team could start to make a little headway, um, whether that's to an NIT berth, just to looking at progress from you know week to week, this seemed to be a stretch where they could get some momentum with uh, you know three out of four at home. That Penn State game was obviously the first of that. Uh, you know, with Northwestern at home, obviously a difficult trip, but a a kind of nothing to lose trip to East Lansing following that, and then a home game against a, a struggling Maryland team. So. You know, so they're 25 percent of the way through that stretch and they they played well in that game. And I think uh, Northwestern looked pretty good against Minnesota. I think it was last night. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night. So they're looking a little bit rejuvenated, I think, after that. But again, if you want to be optimistic about this team, I think you have to assume that that's the kind of home game that they need to win and and continue to show that growth. So uh, in a time where I don't know if I don't know if the you know, in a season that saw two 20 point losses at home to in-state uh, schools. I don't know if a loss at Wisconsin can be considered the low point, but in some ways it really felt like it was. It felt like that, you know, that progress had been lost again. Uh, and then, you know, you turn around, you know, seven, eight days later and, and it feels quite a bit different despite losing one of the the guys that everybody was going to really rely on coming into the season. So, uh, you know, I think a weird a weird week emotionally, I think, for fans of the program. And and I think the, the weirdness of it probably uh, – probably fits well with how the season has gone so far. And to my right, we have a man who will thoroughly enjoy this fact. Appalachian State's football team had a higher average attendance than the San Diego or L.A. Chargers did this year. He's a columnist for the big lead, and he is someone who so flagrantly and erroneously refuses to acknowledge the enduring greatness of Brian Evans that we might have to time to a chair and force him to watch tape of the 95-96 Hoosiers, which is, of course, the team that Brian Evans led to a second-place finish in the Big Ten while scoring 21.2 points, 7.1 rebounds, and dishing out 4.1 assists per game en route to a well-deserved Big Ten Player of the Year award. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant from the past week in Indiana basketball? My rant's going to start with champions or nothing, Jared. 
He wasn't a cha- he was he didn't win it. He didn't lead him to a Big Ten title. So why should I remember it? Um, Although Purdue had to vacate that, so technically Indiana tied finished in a tie for first. Just to, if we're going to yeah, be backed on. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, know. Um, <clears throat> I guess I just have to mention the Deron Davis news. I think he, you know, out for the year with a with a torn Achilles. That's going to be a real long road back for Deron. And I, you know, our thoughts are with him because that is about as devastating an injury as you can get for an athlete. Um, a lot of guys don't come back from it at all. Uh, so it's going to be a really, really long, difficult road back for him. And, and here's hoping that he that he can come back and actually, you know, play again. He's still got two years of eligibility left. I. I, though I'm not sure this is the plan, I wouldn't be entirely shocked if he just went ahead and redshirted next year and, and took the time to, to heal fully because it's going to, the injury is almost certainly going to last into next season, the recovery from it. Um, going to be, you know, again, really difficult for Indiana now moving forward without him. Um, though they've played well without him, there's going to be times where their size is really, you know, the lack of size is really going to show up. So I, I, if I'm Archie Miller, I start getting Clifton more ready to play because you're going to need that depth at some point. Um, you know, maybe we even see Tim Priller if he can get out of that walking boot. I don't know if he's still in it or not, but, um, you know, I think that it's, it's probably time to start looking to rely on some of those guys because, uh, you're going to need, uh, them at some point in Big Ten play, and uh, it, should, it should you know, probably be in the team's best interest to have them ready to go. All right, well, here's what we are going to discuss this week. We're going to talk a little bit more about Deron Davis here right off the top, and then we'll dig into Indiana's three-point shooting woes a little bit. Uh, we will take this opportunity while things are, while we're kind of feeling good here, to indulge in our optimistic side and discuss the most optimistic but still realistic scenarios that we can paint for the rest of the season. And then we answer your questions, including this gem that was sent in uh, in our Slack group. If we could ask Archie Miller one question and he had to answer truthfully, what would it be? That one uh, should be a fun one to kick around. All of that coming on this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Now, this quick reminder before we move forward, the next time that you're looking for tickets to a sporting event or a concert, remember our friends at SeatGeek. You can download their app, which is incredibly convenient and easy to use. I have it on my phone. Or if you just want an easy-to-remember URL that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listings on SeatGeek's website, here's the URL, iutickets.shop. So, for example, you know, if you want tickets to this weekend's game against Northwestern or any of the home games coming up, or shoot, any of the road games, if you're going to be in one of those cities, SeatGeek has you covered and at the best price that you will find anywhere. Check out the latest ticket deals on the SeatGeek app or, again, at iutickets.shop. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget the promo code ASSEMBLY. Just got an email this morning, actually, from a longtime Assembly Call listener who said she purchased tickets and used the promo code, and it all worked great. So use that promo code when you make your first purchase. You will get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-O-Y. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morse here with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. And let's linger a little bit, Ryan, on Deron Davis. I'm glad that you brought him up. Obviously, you know, as you said, we wish Deron well, uh, as speedy a recovery as possible, as healthy and full a recovery as possible. You know, listening to Archie's radio show from Thursday night, uh, it, you know, the prognosis obviously is full recovery. He said it was really just kind of a freak thing. He was, I think, you know, they were doing, uh, you know, running back and forth and he just turned on the baseline and it just kind of snapped. Like it just, 
with an Achilles, it usually is something freak like that. It's rarely a contact thing. It just yeah, you know, I mean, just turn it the wrong way and it goes, which is just terrible. So, so Andy, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously Indiana has fared well without Duran. You know, they've won two games without him. I don't necessarily think that they've won because he hasn't been in there, but they certainly have. You know, rallied around each other since the injury. You know, doing some things differently on offense and defense, as we discussed on this week's edition of podcast on the brink. But as you look forward now, you know, Indiana was able to play Minnesota without Reggie Lynch, their big man down low. Penn State had Mike Watkins, but not a whole lot of depth down there. You know, you got games coming up against Michigan State and against Purdue, you know, teams that have a lot of depth down low. Those are the kind of games where we're really going to miss Duran, aren't they? Yeah, I, I I think so. You know, the the Purdue one is one everybody keeps throwing out. I think it's interesting because they're in some ways in a similar position with Haas as what IU was with Davis, where defensively teams have really tried to take advantage of him by pulling him out on the floor and putting him in, you know, pick and roll scenarios. And I think in an ideal world, you know, you kind of talk about, you know, optimistic view, you know, that, that we'll get into a little bit later for the team. I think is that a scenario where we're making comments about IU the same way we made comments of other teams of they're taking advantage of that obvious deficiency. And so how does IU go about doing that? Uh, and I think we've seen a little bit of that in these last couple games. I mean, you've seen, I think the motion off the ball has been better. I think they've pulled guys away from the basket and they've got a lot of plays with, with guys cutting to the basket and getting passes. I think Robert Johnson got a few of those in the Minnesota game. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, Ryan Carrazza on inside the hall did a good job of, of detailing a couple of those kinds of plays from the, the Penn State game where, you know, Hartman had a couple, you know, cuts toward the basket. So I think it does allow IU to kind of pull everybody away, open up some some lanes to drive or cut to the hoop. Um, you know, the Michigan State game, I think, is going to be challenging. But again, I kind of put it in the that'd you know, be challenging. I have seven footers on the floor, though. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, as long as Miles Bridges wants to continue like playing on the perimeter, I mean, let that continue to happen. But, you know, it's what we talked about with with Duran earlier in the season. Y- you know, for for the advantage that he might bring you, other teams are taking advantage of it. So now, you know, IU kind of has to go the other way and say, look, you got to have Nick Ward try to guard Juwan Morgan. Can he really do that? I'm not sure that he can. Um, so. So I think you got to you know look at it that way um, because there's obviously nobody that's going to step in and be able to play that role. But I think it's done some good things for IU from a spacing perspective. But same way with Duran, if you don't take advantage of that advantage that you have, um, then you're just going to get pounded inside. And, and certainly depth from a foul perspective becomes a, a really huge key. Ryan? Yeah, I, I think, look, I said it in the intro, I think you've really got to get Clifton more ready to play because he's a guy who can hold the ball, uh, you know, handle the ball in the perimeter a little bit. He's more of a face-up guy. So he's he's a guy who, I mean, the reason NBA teams were talking about him is because he's got a little of that, you know, 6'10 guy who can dribble and drive and play on the perimeter Um ability he's not developed enough yet but he's a guy who can certainly hold his own out there um i don't know how he's been developing i don't know how he's been practicing any of that but you are gonna need at some point you're gonna need length and size and he gives you both of those things i know i've talked about it many times he needs to eat about eighty-five thousand ham sandwiches and just gain some weight but and he probably has to make a lot of progress because i mean he's not even cracking the rotation at this point on a team that's had depth issues down low as it is Absolutely. But you've played him this year, so he's not redshirting. So you might yeah. as well use him and, and get some length in there. Um, and, and I'm not saying play him 20 minutes a game, but, you know, you're, use him to eat fouls. You know, when when you got to take Juwan Morgan off the floor for a few minutes, put him in there. I realize you're going to spread the floor more. Um, I realize you're going to, you know, try and uh, create driving lanes, try and create cutting lanes. But at the same time, with a weak shooting team, 
you know, teams are just going to start backing off and daring Indiana to shoot. And quite frankly, I'm not confident they can win that way at all. In the past, maybe I would be, but not this year. And so I do think you're going to have to get some other guys in there. Um, Justin Smith's another guy who's probably going to have to play more. I mean, I know he's been starting, but he's going to have to deal with whatever his foul trouble uh, was in the last game and maybe play through some foul trouble um, and get out there and and mix it up because I think you're going to need some of that length and athleticism. Uh, He's going to have to swing down, maybe play more of a stretch four instead of a a, a three on the perimeter. So, uh, yeah, I think that you're going to have to start getting some other guys involved because, again, size is not something that is this team's strong suit, especially now with Davis out. Well, you mentioned shooting. Hold that thought because coming up on the assembly call, we're going to dig into Indiana's outside shooting woes a little bit and assess if there's reason for hope that they will improve. Spoiler alert, I think there is. That's coming next. Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the Script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it, and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Don't forget, if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. So, Ryan, you mentioned in the last segment that this is not a good shooting Indiana team, and that is clear. Everybody who has watched this team play knows. I really, I really put on my analyst hat to yeah. come up with that yeah. one. It's, yeah, <laughs> well, the hottest of hot one. takes there. Yeah, that was really. Yes. Well, I mean, and look, I mean, the numbers bear it out. Indiana is shooting 30.5% from three-point range this year, which is 319th in the country. And for a little bit of context, Tom Crean's first Indiana team, which went 6-25, and they shot 33.3% from three-point range, thanks to Matt Roth and the legendary uh, Devin Dumas. So... Oh boy, Devin Dumas is legendary. I, that's, I know, I know. I so stopped after you said thanks to Matt Roth. But that's yeah, I, probably <laughs> got a really thin veneer for legendary, don't we? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, 319th in the nation in, in in three point shooting is that bad? I feel like that's pretty it's, bad. It's is bad. That bad. That's bad. And look, okay. and that matches what we've seen. And we're coming off a game where Indiana shot, you know, 22 percent from three point range. To their credit, they won. But you know, as I started looking at this, look. This is not a good three-point shooting team. I don't think that it can become a good three-point shooting team. But I do think that it's reasonable to expect them to go from absolutely atrocious, where they are right now, to average. You know, and maybe the final numbers don't show it, but all that matters from this point forward is what they do over the next 14, 15 games for the rest of the season. So, you know, is there reason to hope? And, and there's a couple reasons why I think that there is. Number one... Look at the four guys who are taking the most three-pointers for Indiana. Robert Johnson, Devontae Green, Josh Newkirk, and Colin Hartman. 
all of those guys are shooting worse right now than their established career averages. And obviously, some guys have a bigger sample size than others. You know, Robert Johnson shooting nine percentage points less from three-point range this year than his career average means a lot more than Devontae Green's because Robert has three seasons worth of a sample, whereas Devontae Green, you know, we only saw him take 55 attempts last year. So we don't really know yet what is more like him is he more the 44 percent shooter from last year or the 28 percent shooter from this year but you know Josh Newkirk is shooting slightly worse than he normally does Colin Hartman is shooting about seven and a half points worse than he normally does so I think if those guys just start to shoot closer to their established levels that right there will be a little bit of improvement and if you start talking about one or two made threes a game that can be pretty significant because we know that Indiana is going to be in a lot of close games here but here's the biggest reason why I think there's room for improvement. And it comes back to Robert Johnson because, look, he's the guy who's taking the most threes. He's the guy who has the longest established track record. So I think we can trust more what he's done before and think, hey, maybe he'll start shooting closer to that. Well, if you go to Synergy Sports and if you look at his numbers as a spot-up shooter, there is a clear outlier, and it is this season. And it is particularly striking in unguarded catch-and-shoot situations. So when he's you know not off a dribble, when he's just catching a pass and he's open to shoot it, this has always been an area where he has succeeded. And as a freshman, he shot 52% in these situations. That was in the 91st percentile nationally. As a sophomore, he shot 53.5%. That was in the 94th percentile. As a junior, he shot 55.6%. That was in the 95th percentile. Are you sensing a trend here, right? And he was taking around one, three, uh, one, one of these attempts per game. So he was getting a decent amount of them and hitting them at an elite clip. This year, Robert is 31% in unguarded catch-and-shoot situations, which is in the 29th percentile, and he's Whoa. averaging close to two of those attempts per game. So if he just brings that up you know, to 40%, which is still significantly less than how he normally shoots, that right there is going to be a pretty big improvement over what we've seen so far this year. And look, I know you can't just look at the numbers in a vacuum. Like we've seen Robert struggling with his confidence and his shot form has looked off. So maybe there are reasons to explain this beyond just, you know, kind of variance of a small sample size from only seeing the first half of the season. But I don't know. Those numbers are pretty compelling to me for a guy who's played that many minutes that I have a hard time thinking he is not going to prove improve at least a little bit in those situations and maybe even a lot given how good he's been in the past. So I wanted to throw that out there and see. I know, you know, Ryan, as you said, this is not going to be a team you're going to trust shooting wise. But man, I really think that there's some room for improvement. And if they can improve in this specific area, like I said, that could be four, five, six points a game, which could make a huge difference. I have one huge worry about about this and and, and a concern. Um, if this were a Tom Crean team struggling shooting, I would say maybe it's an aberration or maybe it's a few guys who are off and you know need to have little subtle shifts to their motion and things like that. The thing that worries me is this is a new coaching staff and it's everybody is off and everybody is lower. As you pointed out those numbers, it's significant. It's not, you know, Rojo's not off 3%. He's off 9%. Colin Hartman is off 7.5%. Devontae Green's off 15%. Um, Again, small sample size from him last year, but still, my worry is that maybe this has to do with this coaching staff just not spending as much time on shooting 
as the past one did. We know that Tom Crean, you know, spent a lot of time on the offense, a lot of time on jump shooting, a lot of time on three point shooting. He would set up, you know, the NBA lines during practice. So guys would get used to shooting them from deep. Um, He had a specific guy on his staff who was essentially a shot doctor and Tim Buckley. Maybe the team that, you know, specifically these players reacted well to that and the repetitions and the drills and all of that stuff. And Archie Miller and his staff are more focused on defense, are more focused on getting the ball into the paint, are more focused from scoring two pointers um, and specific, you know, offensive drills that don't necessarily involve jump shooting. Uh, that could be the reason here. And, and, and it makes sense to me because you see the one thing that's changed for some of these guys is the coaching staff. I mean, that that's what's changed for Robert Johnson from last year, to this year's the system and the staff. What's changed for Colin Hartman What's changed for Josh Newkirk. What's changed for Devontae Green is the coaching staff. So maybe it's a situation where, you know, maybe Archie didn't his past teams didn't have to rely on shooting as much or didn't need those specific things that the past coaching staff was doing to get their shots going. Um <clears throat> And maybe he just is still adjusting to his personnel and his personnel is still adjusting to him in the system. That's my concern uh, that it might take all year and, and this might be a year long thing. And it's just, you know, one of those things where there's just not a matchup between what the coaching staff is trying to do and the personnel and they need stuff that he's not giving them and he needs stuff from them that he's not going to get. So, again, We've come back to this a lot this year, but these aren't the players he brought in to fit his system. These are guys who were already here, and he may like some of these guys and think they fit specific things, but they're not doing the things, you know, as far as shooting goes. They're not doing what, you know, this offense needs done. No, I'll grant you that, and that does make some sense, especially for maybe guys like, uh, you know, Newkirk, who's just a few percentage points off. But, man, Johnson is so far off. I feel like what you're saying could make sense, and he could still improve a little bit just, you know, again – Sure. Yeah. You know, there's gotta be look. his shot is completely off for everybody watching. If you watch when he shoots, his entire body is shifting to the left and he's falling away when he shoots every single time. He had one three from the right wing uh, on TV. They were going left to right. He had one three that he stepped into from the from the uh, right wing. That look was the only shot this season. I've thought that's going in. That looks good. The only one for Robert Johnson. I used to say that all the time for him. And this year that was the only time he shot. And I was confident that shot was going in and, and said good when he shot it. Other than that, he is having some serious issues. He's over rotating his body and falling backwards, which are two things you never do on a shot. If you want it to go in. Um, and, and he's just, he looks off balance when he lands. There's so many things wrong with his shot. Um, I will tell you the one guy who looks great when he shoots is for, is in one specific spot on the floor. It's Josh Newkirk from straight on. If he shoots from straight on, it looks great. That Everywhere else, I think it looks like a mess. But it looks great when Josh Newkirk lines up from straight on. And you've seen him hit a lot of those this year. Um, and, and, so, yeah, I... Robert Johnson, something's up and, and something is different, and I don't know what it is specifically. Well, and I want to get Andy's thoughts. One thing I do want to say, because I know, you know a lot of people may think, well, he's just, you know, he's, he's not getting as many open looks. And actually, you know, his percentage of unguarded looks is roughly what it was when he was a sophomore. Um, and so that, you know, he's still getting a lot of open looks. He's just not knocking them down. Anyway, was his sophomore year his best shooting year? percentage-wise? By far, yes, by yeah, far. So. Yeah, You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms breaking down Indiana's shooting woes as I desperately try to give us all hope that the shooting will improve. Again, not to a great level, maybe not even to a good level. I'm just looking for average, hoping we can get there, perhaps grasping at straws, reading too much into numbers. But Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Ryan talks about Johnson's shooting form. There was a shot 
I think it was in the first half of the of the Penn State game. And if you want to see just how far left he fell, he shot it from the baseline. So he had a really good angle of how far it was. I mean, he really, really is drifting to the left. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's struggling a bit. I, I You know, the one thing I think is clear with him is that no matter what the numbers say, he's clearly more comfortable taking those threes in those catch and shoot situations. There were a couple late shot clock, um, you know, situations where, you know, in a lot of cases that Devonte green is going to, you know, put a few moves on and take a step back three or something like that. Johnson ended up either giving the ball up or kind of just dribbled in trouble, just couldn't really create that space for himself. Um, and I think a little bit of that is, is confidence, but I think a little bit of just where he's, he's comfortable. So, um, I, I was surprised when, when you kind of talked about how many, you know, that he's getting at least two of those looks a game. Cause I think my initial thought was, well, maybe those, he's just not getting as many of those kinds of looks or percentage wise of the shots he's taking, how many of them are in that scenario. And it seems like it's as many, if not more. Um, so I, you know, I think there's some, I think there's some truth to it. Um, but I would definitely say from a form standpoint, you know, I think, I think Ryan even mentioned Colin Hartman after the game, uh, against Penn state, or maybe it was somebody else, but you know, he's really fallen backwards on his, um, just the the number of guys who are taking like kind of good squared up shots, and I do think there's probably a little bit of truth. There. I mean, you know, you heard so many times when Crean was there how much they talked about shooting and the repetition and those kinds of things. Um, and when you're IU and you're trying to put in, uh, you know, the the defense are trying to put in and things like that, maybe some of those things go by the wayside or more are more reliant on players getting shots up outside of that. You know, yeah, normal that's time. What I also yeah. think. That's a, it's a great point. I mean, it it explains a lot. I think. Yeah. I, and and it might be the kind of thing where Archie is the kind of coach where he wants those players to, like Andy said, get, get the work done on their shot on their own, you know, work on individual stuff on individual time. And we're working on team stuff and team time, you know, and, and um, so that's just a different philosophy. And, and a lot of coaches do that. I mean, a lot of coaches rely on players to to work on their own individual games you know, grab a coach, grab a manager, whatever, and work on it. Uh, but some guys need specific instruction and, and that's just the way they learn. It's to, you know, different learning, uh, uh, build, uh, you know, th- the way just just different the way they learn. But I, I what I want to say on Johnson's shot. And when you see somebody rotate their body on their shot, it means they're putting way too much arm into the shot because it's forcing their shoulder to sort of move with the ball. And it means that he's overshooting it. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to go long because it's one of those things where he could go up with too much arm and at the last minute kind of release knowing that he's using too much arm. So it'll come short. It'll go sideways. It'll go wherever. But when you see a guy over rotate like that, it's a clear sign that something is up. And and so something is definitely up. He's always had a little bit of that in his shot. But now, as Andy said, he's like falling out of bounds when he's on the sideline. And it's so noticeable. And it's something I, I'm sure he's working on and I'm sure he's aware of. But it, yeah. it'd be impossible to miss on film. But it's one of those things where in games, he's it's not getting better. One other thing I did. It's. Just real quick, it's interesting to hear Archie talk about it because he references it so often that like these guys can shoot and they make shots and I just am waiting for them to make shots in a game. And it, it's like one of those where it's like, I want to believe you, but are you just trying to talk yourself into the fact that that's going to happen? Or well, not? he might also really, be trying to talk. He must be looking at the same happen. stats that Jared is. So then maybe he's maybe he's onto something. I don't know. You know, he might I mean, be trying to talk them into a little confidence. You know, yeah, it's it looks- definitely a confidence thing for sure. And, and yeah, you might be right that there's some truth to that. But I mean, he seems to go out of his way at times to talk about it. Um, you know, came up. You know, one of the you know one of the first things it felt like that he talked about in the, uh, uh, you know, after the Penn State game. Although it's it's funny because. 
uh, it was, I think it was Josh Margolis who asked him after the Minnesota game about like get, seeing a few threes go in early. And then he, you know, it kind of, it was like, well, relative to what we've done this year. And he's like, well, if we make one, it's good for this year. So it was a pretty good exchange. Very true. Hey, so the last point that I want to make about this is that, you know, all four of those guys are shooting better from the free throw line this year than they have at any other point in their career. And that at least suggests that, you know, their shot isn't totally broken because, you know, in fact, you know, you read a lot of articles by NBA scouts as they're trying to project guys forward to the next level. They look at their free throw percentage more than they even look at their three point percentage in college because it tends to translate more. So that's the other thing that I think at least shows, you know, that these guys have a a good shooting stroke. It's just not translating right now to the three point line. So I still think there's some reason to hope that they can marginally improve and again, even just marginal improvement is going to make a big difference for a team that's in a lot of close games. Well, and, and on the free throw line, there's a lot less thinking that goes on. You get the ball from the ref, you bounce it twice, and you shoot it. It's it, you know, I mean, some guys do take a long time and think about it, and guys like Shaq who used to do that, and it's always bad. It, and it's it, you know, a lot of these guys has just become a repetition thing. And when they catch it on the wing and square up, and they haven't been shooting well. It gets into their head by the time they release the ball. Also, I would say, yeah, the reason why they look at free throw percentage over three-point percentage is free throws are very indicative of release and rotation. Those are the two things you need on a free throw. You don't need to get your legs involved very much. You don't need to overextend with your arms, things like that. It's just release and get the ball to backspin. And so that is indicative of a guy with a good shooting stroke. You're absolutely right. And that's you know that just becomes the problem for this IU team because, again, it's not translating to the three-point line. I greatly look forward to the I told you so after we hit 17 threes on Sunday against Northwestern. It's going to be good awesome. luck. It's not Actually, like we're going to be I, upset about it if it happens. <laughs> and it, you know, it's not like you need to take a victory lap. Ooh, we hit a ton of threes and we won. We hit a ton of threes. You guys are idiots. I hope you're not enjoying this at all. Believe me, we'll be enjoying it. Don't worry. If Northwestern uh, okay. hits 17 threes, we're going to spit roast him. All right. Coming up, we indulge our optimistic side and paint the best scenarios that we think are realistic for the rest of the season. Stick with us on the Assembly Call. listening to the assembly call go to assemblycall.com slash join right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get more out of being an iu basketball fan then you need to be on our newsletter list you will get our weekly six banner sunday news roundups as well as our post-game analysis emails it is all free and it will make you a smarter iu basketball fan again the url is assemblycall.com slash join i am jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips and you know, things are good right now. Indiana's won two in a row. We're above 500 in Big Ten play. And so we thought that this would be a good opportunity to, you know, kind of indulge our optimism a little bit and carry the good times forward. And so the challenge here is basically for each of us to paint the most optimistic scenario that, that, that we can foresee for the rest of the season that is also realistic. You know, so not, you know, Indiana, you know, running the table or anything like that. But what do we actually think is realistic that we think has, has a chance to happen. So let me kick this off and then uh, we'll get uh, Andy and Ryan, your guys' scenarios as well. So for my scenario, obviously, you know, going off of what we talked about in the last segment, I think it starts with Robert Johnson becoming a better shooter uh, and starting to make some of those unguarded catch and shoot threes. Um, and I think it's reasonable to think that that will happen. I think obviously, you know, Juwan Morgan's going to have to stay healthy. He's going to have to maintain his efficiency and finish, you know, around where he's at right now, which would be at, you know, a second team all Big Ten level, if not an all, a first team all Big Ten level. He's going to have to play that good. And then the X factor for me 
is Devontae Green. You know, I think we really saw some positive signs from him in that Penn State game. If he can use that as a template and start to turn a corner and play more consistently like that, I think that's a big part of the formula for how Indiana reaches uh, what I think is the most optimistic uh, finish. So uh, here's what I think is possible. I think Indiana can finish 4-1 and one in the home games they have against Northwestern, Maryland, Minnesota, Illinois, and Ohio State. Win four of those, lose one. I think they can finish 1-2 and two against Michigan State and Purdue. Obviously, you're going to lose to, uh, to Michigan State on the road, but if that Simon Scott Assembly Hall magic can kick in for one of those games, you finish 1-2 and two there and then get two out of the other five games on the road. So you play Illinois, Ohio State, Rutgers, Iowa, and Nebraska on the road. So that would be a 7-6 and six finish, which would mean a 10-8 and eight record overall in Big Ten play, and you'd be 17-13 and 13 overall. Now, if I, were, you know, if I had to bet money on this, I would say that 6-7 and seven is probably more likely because they'll probably either lose all three of those to Michigan State and Purdue and maybe you know, not win uh, two of those other road games, but we're going for optimism, so I'll stick with 7-6. and six. Uh, And then I say, you know, get a bye in the Big Ten tournament, win your first game, and then probably lose to Michigan State or Purdue uh, in the semifinal of the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, Andy, to me... Wait a minute. Why don't you have any faith in us in the Big Ten tournament, Jared? I don't understand. Why would you interrupt me for a question that ridiculous? (laughs) You know, full well. Because it's what I do. (laughs) So, you know, Andy, when I look at that, I feel like that kind of finish would get us mentioned on the bubble. But we'd probably end up in the NIT, uh, which, look, given where things are, I think finishing in the NIT you know, would be okay for this team. Do you think that kind of finish would, would get Indiana on the bubble? Is that something that could even get him into the tournament, depending on what kind of carnage there is around the bubble? What do you think? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, that ends up 18 and 14. Um, you know, you've got the two really bad losses. I think the problem with the Big Ten this year is that I, it's still pretty early to start looking at the RPI, but I mean, really... If you looked right now from a truly quality win standpoint, there's really four teams that are probably top 50, I want to say, maybe top 40 in the RPI. And that's obviously, you know, Michigan State, Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, there might be somebody else just outside the, the top 45. I want to say Minnesota's um, right in there, but probably falling. So I just don't know that there are there are a lot of decent wins. There just aren't a lot of great wins to be had. And I think in order to erase the couple of home losses that, you know, we all want to forget about. I think they got to do more than that. I don't think an ending four games over 500 in total and two games over in a mediocre league would be enough. Hmm. Okay. What is your optimistic slash realistic scenario? I, well, I don't know. I feel like my mind might be slightly more optimistic than yours, which maybe I means that I took too. this, that I took this too far. Um, <laughs> so I think, um, you know, obviously from an individual player standpoint, I think that the things that you mentioned are, are good. You know, I, what I'll say about Juwan Morgan is when you look at his numbers, I, I was watching, I forget which game was on tonight. I guess it was Ohio State and Maryland. And they were talking about, you know, some kind of like, I, I don't know how they phrase it, like under the radar, some kind of like Big Ten MVP. And they had three guys from Michigan State on there, which is absurd. And Morgan was not mentioned at all. Um, I didn't actually listen to what was said. So maybe there was something else there, but didn't really make sense to me. I mean, he at least needs to be in that conversation, not saying that he should win, not saying that he will win, but it seems strange to me that any kind of, any, any kind of thing like that, he doesn't seem to be mentioning, but, um, X factor for me, I'm going to say Justin Smith. And we talked about the front court, you know, depth issues and things like that. And by calling him the X factor, that doesn't mean it needs to be Minnesota level, Justin Smith. Um, but it also can't be Penn state level, Justin Smith too often. So I think he's a guy who's got to give him minutes, um, be able to stretch the floor a little bit, 
Um, you know, if he can have more games than that where he finds his way toward eight or ten points and, and six rebounds, I think that would be uh, that would be a success. But when you look at the record, I mean, if you if you want to say optimistic, there's seven home games left. I mean, would it shock you to see this team win all any of those games individually? So if you want to be optimistic, let's say they win all seven. Uh, and then the road so beating games, Michigan State and Purdue at home. Hey, I mean, all right, saying this is magic the best of, case scenario that's possible. The magic of Assembly possible. Hall, right? I mean, if we're yeah, I mean, if we're saying you know absolute best case, this team gets some momentum, crowds crazy, they win some games at home. Um, you know, then you've got road games. I think the the at Michigan State game is a, a throwaway. Um, I'm starting to feel like watching Ohio State play the at Ohio State game is a throwaway. But then when you look at the other road games outside of that, you've got Illinois. You've got Rutgers, you've got Iowa, and you've got Nebraska. All those are outside of the top 80 on Ken Palm right now. Um, I'm not going to go insane and say they win all four of those, but is it inconceivable that you win two of those games? Maybe not. I don't know. Um, so I, I'm going to say you win half of those games, so you go two and three in those road games. That's nine more Big Ten wins, which probably borders on uh, borders on insane, but it is what it is. So that puts you 12 and six, which I'm still not even sure gets you in the tournament conversation. Um given the, the other losses on the roster, but it certainly gives you a much better chance. I, I just um, can't trust us enough at home to think we're going to win all seven of those, given what we've well, seen. In some we're seeing most optimistic projections neither, and neither realistic. It's got to be who, realistic. I'm just saying, are you right now? You're the, you're the one painting this rosy picture for a team that's shooting 30% from we three have, point range. How many times and you're have, telling me this team can't win seven games at home? How many times have we mentioned Fort Wayne and Indiana State tonight? Do we need to be reminded of how up and down oh, this well, team has been at home? Right. Somebody did just mention Right. Them, so. so I have a hard time thinking they're going to win seven straight you know home games against some of the teams they're playing. I was having uh. a good show until you mentioned that. <laughs> I, look, I mean, if we're being optimistic, I mean, to me, that that is the... I mean, you said it has to be something that could actually happen. Yeah, I mean, is it unlikely given what we've seen from this team? But on a game in and game out basis, when teams come in to Assembly Hall, we would give them a chance to win against virtually anybody if the environment, you know, given how the environment will be and things like that. So in a best yes. case scenario, you win all of those, right? Okay. So I don't know. That's that's my thought. I so I don't know. I mean, I think absolute best case is they f- they find a way to sneak into the tournament. I think that is a long shot at this point. But if you go nine and what would that be? Nine and four down the stretch and and you have win it maybe a couple games in the big 10 tournament. I think it's a more conceivable argument, but yeah, you're going to, you got to get yourself probably close to 20 wins at some point, which that would, you know, that would get you if they win nine more, that's 19, win a game in the big 10 tournament, that's 20. I think there's at least a conversation to be had there, but uh, I think, you know, more likely is being able to play the way in NIT. And I think given the way this season's gone and, and everything that's, that that's happened, I, I would be fine with that. Um, you know, as you kind of reset expectations going on now. So I'll, I'll shut up and let Ryan give his well, uh, optimistic prediction so Jerry can I, I look, tear it down. No, I, his, I, look forward to your, I look forward to your I told you so on this one. Yeah, Very okay. much so. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with Andy. I, I have my best case now scenario. I feel worse about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You probably should. My best case scenario was them finishing 12 and 6 in the Big Ten. That's best case. Um, I, I've got there. I think they can beat Northwestern. Lose to Michigan State. I think they can beat Maryland at home, uh, beat Iowa on the road or Illinois on the road uh, versus Purdue. Look, that's a rivalry game and it's at Assembly Hall. That could be the one big upset this year that Indiana pulls there. That I think that one, there's more of a chance than Michigan State. I just think that there's a matchup there. And the fact that it's the in-state rivalry, you got your new coach trying to prove something. I could see that being the upset. Uh, I've got them losing that Ohio State, losing to Michigan State. Uh, beating Rutgers, beating Minnesota at home, beating Illinois. 
I think they can win at Iowa. We saw Iowa. Iowa ain't good. Uh, and they have the confidence that they beat Iowa. And I think they can beat a win at Nebraska. And then you get the Ohio State game at home to finish the season. We're going to uh, be there. A, They've never lost with us in attendance. That's another crapshoot. But if they win those, uh, and that's not even inc- including beating Purdue. If they win those, that's nine. And nine more wins down the stretch. That's 12. And that gets you to 12 and six. And if you're 12 and six in the Big Ten and you win a couple games in the Big Ten tournament, you're certainly in consideration. But I think that, yeah, some of those losses early in the season will keep them out. But at least you're giving yourself a chance. That said, that's not what I think will happen, but that's that's the best case with the way this is laid out. And I think the X factor, I agree with Andy again. I think it's Justin Smith. He's got to be on the floor. He's got to be help because he can help on both ends of the floor. Let's be real with his athleticism and his length and his basketball IQ. He can help on both ends of the floor. And and this team's going to need help on both ends of the floor because there's going to be a game where Juwan Morgan's going to get into foul trouble. It's going to happen. And and there'll be awful calls, and we'll be really mad about it. But there's nothing you can do about it. And he's not going to play you know, 39 minutes without fouling every game. <laughs> yeah, it's, somebody's got to step up. And and I think Justin Smith is a guy who can step up. I think Colin Hartman's a guy who can step up. I think you're gonna. And that's why I said you're gonna have to get Clifton more ready uh, because he's gonna need to to play some minutes, to eat some minutes. And and you're gonna need a guy like Freddie McSwain in one game, to, in one or two games, to step up and and give you a solid performance. So. Um, you know, you're going to need help from everybody to get there. But I think that that's that's the best case realistic scenario. Yeah. I mean, individually with all those games, that totally makes sense. I just have a hard time, you know, of course, kind of stepping back of on that macro level, trusting the team enough to do that. But I, I oh, hope they sure. can. If, if, if I had to put money on it, I wouldn't say it's going to happen. But I mean, yeah. we're, we're talking, you know, optimism. We won two games in a row. We get a chance to be optimistic. Maybe get a three-game winning streak this weekend. Hey. Something I never, I dreamed would never happen again. Uh, you know, let's let's we're 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 taking baby steps here, right? All right. Well, give us your uh, the most optimistic scenario that you think is also realistic. Send us a tweet at Assembly Call. Let us know. Uh, coming up on the Assembly Call in our final segment, we've got some great listener questions, including one about what question we would ask Archie Miller if we could ask him any question and he had to answer. That should be fun. Stick with us. listening to the assembly call i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips wrapping up another week of talking iu hoops and we've got a few listener questions here we want to get to and the first one it's definitely one of the best questions that's been sent in and this is from rob in our slack group uh and if you use slack and if you want to get in that slack group where we talk iu hoops uh just shoot me an email jared at assemblycall.com but here's rob's question if you had one question that you could ask Archie, assuming he has to answer it, what would you ask him? We can assume he's answering it behind closed doors to make it interesting. Uh, Andy, why don't you lead us off here? Oh, I thought I thought you were going to go first. I can't. Well, okay. So here's the question that I would ask him, especially given how McKinley Wright is playing for Colorado. And McKinley Wright is a guy that was committed to Archie at Dayton. I believe wanted to follow Archie here, but obviously when Archie showed up, we had like 17 guys, you know, who, who, who could have been on scholarship. But then, of course, uh, you know, Thomas Bryant goes pro, James Blackman leaves, OG leaves, Grant Galen ended up leaving. Uh, you know, Curtis Jones obviously ended up transferring. He got all the new freshmen in. There wasn't a spot for McKinley Wright to have. But you look at it now, he's playing really well as a freshman. Uh, he obviously would have stepped in and gotten some significant minutes for a team that needs a point guard. I think the question that I would ask Archie is if he could go back and do it again, knowing what he knows now, would he 
treat that situation differently? Would he try to figure something out roster-wise to be able to get McKinley right on this roster? I know why he couldn't do it. It would have been a bad look, and obviously he needed to really you know, treat the players uh, that were in the program already well and make them the priority. But I just wonder in hindsight – uh, if he would think any differently about that. Um, and obviously, he would never answer that question publicly, so that's why you'd have to ask it behind closed doors. But I'd be really interested to see what his response would be to that. So that's my question. Andy, what do you have? Uh, mine would probably be something along the lines of, what is the furthest you'd be willing to go to get Romeo Langford? Something something to that effect. I mean, that's the big question that everybody wants. That's the big guy. I mean, I think fans would do just, just about anything. Are you so, asking how heavy the bag is going to be? Uh, I well, he can he can take the question however he wants. <laughs> How much no, do you need, Archie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a we can have a donation drive for the show. Just we just need a number that we need to. Uh, no, but I mean, I'd be curious. I think it would give insight into not only how important he thinks Romeo is for the future, but also kind of his uh, moral compass, if you will, to to give us an idea about it. Because hmm. yeah, because he would have to answer that truthfully. So that would be a good question to find that out. I, I'm th- the other question I was going to ask is do we still have a realistic shot? Like how, how much do you think we're really in this? Um, Cause obviously it's hard to find any of that out publicly. So that would be my other question for him. What do you got, Ryan? I would ask him, shoot him up with true serum because the default answer is obvious, but shoot him up with true serum and ask him, who's the better coach, you, your brother or your father, who is the better coach? Who does he truly deep down believe is the better coach of those three guys? And now, of course, if you ask him, he's going to tell you his dad. That's because every guy does it. But I want I want I want sodium pentothal in a, in a syringe, shoot him up. And I want to know the answer. Who's the better coach between the three of them? And what makes them the best? Not just like, oh, he's the best. But is it because he's a great recruiter and he can develop players? Is it because of his tactical acumen? Is it because whatever? I want to know. He's he's extremely deferential to his brother too. It would actually not surprise yeah. me if he said his brother. I I agree, but that's why I want to know if that's for real or if he's it's his brother. He talks nice about him. I'm sure I'm sure he would say his dad. I'm sure that would be his dad, legendary high school coach in Pennsylvania. I'm sure he would say his dad. But that's why I want the 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 extra the added benefit of of true serum. There. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get through. Kudos to none of us for starting the question with uh, talk about and then saying something like that. So that was good. No, yeah, true. Good for us. Very Is that a good. subtle shot at people in my profession, Andy? <laughs> uh, perhaps. <laughs> Not so subtle, actually. Uh, okay, so let's, uh, let's get uh, some of these other ones. J-Mo asks us, why does VJ Blackman not even dress? Ryan, you think it's because uh, you can only have a certain number of people dressing? And obviously the, the number one reason is because he's not a legitimate you know, potential player at this point. Like He's not going to see the court, um, and you can only have so many people dress. Yeah, there's only going to be a certain amount of walk-ons on on the on the bench at a time, and so he doesn't dress. I don't I don't, I don't see that as being weird at all. Yeah, um, Brian uh, wonders any reason why Clifton Moore isn't playing. I feel like he could give Morgan a breather from time to time. Might as well get his feet wet. Brian Ryan absolutely agrees with you, and we get this question literally every week. Someone asks about Clifton Moore, and the answer doesn't change. Clifton Moore isn't playing in games because he's not earning it in practice. And when he does get a few minutes in games, you know, he's not overwhelming you to say, hey, maybe this is just a gamer and he's, you know, he's not a practice type player. So until he starts producing in practice, he's not going to be playing in the game. 
another question I forgot to write down who uh, who sent this one in, so my apologies. But which Justin Smith do you think we will see more of this season? Minnesota Justin Smith or Penn State Justin Smith? Ryan and Andy, from your answers in our last segment, it sounds like you both believe uh, we're not going to see Minnesota Justin Smith every game, but you think it'll be closer to that than what we saw against Penn State, correct? I th- yeah, I think it'll be I'm not- somewhere in the middle. Somewhere yeah, I'm not sure you're going to see much of either of those extremes going forward. I mean, I think everybody would be pretty happy if it was somewhere in the middle. I think you got a better chance to see another one or two, you know, kind of breakout performances like you did against Minnesota, probably more so than you see a chance to have one or two, you know, games where he hardly plays and, and hardly scores. Yeah. Uh, and let's see the final question. This is from Derek. Um, Tom Crean even said that we were low basketball IQ. Will emphasis on recruiting the Midwest give us a better coached recruit? How do the current players compare to 2018 recruits as far as being on winning programs and on winning teams? You know, I know that Demise Anderson's team right now is ranked number one in the state. Uh, Jerome Hunter's team is obviously doing well. Rob Finnessy's team is struggling a little bit as they transition to a new coach, but they are a team that, you know, they were in the state title a couple years ago. That McCutcheon program is a really good program. Um, so I don't know if either of you has any insight on this, but it sounds like Archie is really committed to to recruiting guys who are from winning programs and that understand what a winning culture is all about. I yeah, think, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I I think that that's that's part of the focus for any top recruiter. You want to recruit top players, but you also want to recruit guys from good programs. And I think that's a huge, huge element of recruiting. Yeah. Andy. Yeah. I mean, he said he wants guys that hate to lose. And I think whether that's IQ related or not, I think there's a lot of that in the players that you see coming in. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for those questions. That will do it for us on this week's episode of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording, or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call, wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget Go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Right now, savings goals might feel out of reach. But with the U.S. Bank mobile app, we can help you put money aside in a way that won't make you miss it. Using personalized insights, you can save in a way that works in real life and all the curveballs that come with it. So let's get you closer to whatever it is you're saving for. Because at U.S. Bank, 
Even our tools are smart enough to put people first. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.